hasn't even brought in his own recruits yet. These are the same players that put up 40-something points in the whole year in the Big Ten last year. This year, they're putting up 30 points whenever. Their defense is letting up points. And before, in, in years past, we, we would look at it always like, oh, once another team has put up 14 points on us, even if our defense could have possibly held them. So say a team went up 14-0 on us. Even if our defense could have possibly held them to 14 points to the rest of the game, we ran into the issue where we didn't even know if our offense could put up 14 points to catch those. So now it's the exact opposite. We, you know, we, we got to improve the defense a little bit. Don't think that would be too big of a problem because Shiano is super, you know, he's defense-minded, defensive coordinator at Ohio State. He was about to be the uh, defensive coordinator for the Patriots as well. Um, I don't think that would be a problem. I'm just really excited to see what the offense brings. All these guys are going to be coming back, and we're slowly going to start seeing Shiano uh, bring in his recruits. And I don't know if you've been following too, but over the weekend we got a really good transfer from Kansas State, a true freshman wide receiver who looks like he's going to be a stud. So I did see that. His name it kind of escapes me, but I heard he's a good kick returner and a receiver. You're right. True, and- true, fre- true freshman. He left because of, uh, I mean, I, I, I can't explicitly say, but it, it's from, for I think it's racial tension going uh, on in Kansas State. So he, something was going on with that program that the kid didn't like, and he, he, he left, and, and Shiano picked him up. His name is escaping me right now, too, but uh, very, very good transfer. I, c- I can get the name up in, in a second. But, yeah, yeah and- I, I and that's I a, think we're trending in a good direction. Yeah, and that's definitely a good point. And, you know, like you said, Shiano, a defensive-minded coach. Um, and a lot of these games that we've lost have come down to, I, I guess you could say, poor offensive play. I, I guess just, uh, just to go back to what his name was, it's Josh Youngblood. <laughs> I like his last name. <laughs> yeah, Josh Youngblood. But anyway, really good kid, true freshman. Excited to see what, what he brings next year. Yeah, and especially, you know, adding him to that receiving core that we've seen this year, you know, kind of really explode and and play at a high level. Um, So we all know that Shiano is a defensive-minded coach, and every year he's coached Rutgers, no matter, you know, I guess the the amount of talent, the defense has been good to some level. And this year, you know, you could make the argument that the defense isn't playing uh, too great, but they have come up in... They have come up clutch in certain situations to win games, even if you look at the final results. You know, like if they give up, let's say, 450 yards, right, in a shootout, but they come up with a clutch fourth down stop, you know, to win the game. That's the difference of Shiano's defenses. They're not spectacular, but they always find a way to come Mm -hmm. up clutch on, like, the fourth down plays. And And you saw that against Purdue last week after a terrible first half in terms of defense. They gave up 23 points, and... You know, almost 200 yards in the air. They only gave up a touchdown in the second half, and I think that just shows you, you know, Shiano's locker room presence and and the coaching staff that this team has to kind of just speak to their players and and just, you know, kind of get the message out there that you got to step up in big plays and you got to go out there to help this team win. And you know, Rucker showed it this weekend against Purdue. Yeah, I mean, about the defense, like. A lot of a lot of the times, the way I see it too is is they're just playing to what the game script is going like, and, and a lot of these game scripts are, are are going for high for high scoring games. That's how a lot of the people in the Big Ten are. I mean, like, what's a really good 
defensive team that that's holding a, another solid team like low on points like even a team that's really good on defense unless you're like Alabama or something when you up against a, a top 20 a potentially top 25 team like some some of these teams are going up against like in Indiana Ohio State I mean even though they're underperforming this year we know that Michigan recruits to the point where they could have a, a top 25 team they have enough recruits for that stuff so like the way the way I see it is like it's very hard in college with the way that the landscape is of college football right now to really be locking teams down. It's not something that you typically see unless you're one of the top teams. So I, it's not that the defense is playing bad, as you said, it's, it's they could be doing better, could do could What a way I see it, they could be doing better to start games a lot. A lot of the times they're letting teams right off the bat come up, come off, you know, with a touchdown or something like that. And that writes the script for the game for Rutgers to have to catch them on offense. So that's something that I see, but I'm not worried about it. Shano hasn't had his guys in there recruited yet. Over time, this defense will get better. Yeah, and I have to agree. I, I think once Shiano gets, gets a full year of recruiting time uh, like a normal season, I, I truly think that he'll get a good, a good group of recruits for the future. And, you know, we all know he only had like three, three months this for the class of 2020. Uh, and, and COVID definitely did not help his case there, you know, limiting the amount of visits you can have on campus and stuff like that. But I want to talk a little bit more about the Purdue Rutgers game uh, and specifically the way Rutgers used the quarterbacks in that game. Uh, I know, Brent, you were on the call for this game and I was and I was producing and we kind of talked yes, about sir. this a little bit for Nightline afterwards. But uh, I guess I just wanted to hear what you thought about the usage in terms of Johnny Langan and if this should continue or or how this should go uh, how this should be played out uh you know for the rest of the games this year yeah we we, we both said it perfectly on on saturday that he needs to be using uh the third down scenarios short you know short short yardage third down scenarios because he seems to be automatic right now and when someone's got the hot hand why why take it away from them we got mad on a couple fourth downs when they didn't call that play in the first half they changed that script in the second. It looked good. He got every he got every necessary third and short. So I, I think that definitely needs to continue. But I I, I think with Lang and you, you don't want to use the same exact game plan we use against Purdue all the time. It's got to be a type of thing where you know okay this isn't working for us here in the first half. Let's go to Plan B and that's you know maybe Plan B is using Lang and more with, with the run and seeing if they can break you down. I mean running the ball with like running quarterbacks in college they, it, it works out way more than it does in the NFL I mean we saw that with I don't know if you watched the Broncos game but they didn't have a quarterback and they literally would just try to run the ball and every single time they'd get stopped and it did not matter if it was first quarter second th- quarter third quarter fourth quarter these guys are ready and they will bring down the quarterback but in the in college you have a little bit more room to run um, and running quarterbacks historically have done extremely well in college so that might be a plan, but I, I think starting the game, you don't want to incorporate them as much as they did in the second half. You want to use them on those third and short scenarios. And if your offense isn't working, if Vedral or Sikowski isn't throwing the ball that well and they're going up against a tough defense, then I, would, then I want to see some more Langan. But that's my interpretation of how they should use him. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head there because, as you said, the more you use it, the less like I guess you could say of a unique play it becomes and it's kind of like at that point defenses are used to seeing it and they're you know almost like preparing for it not saying that 
teams in the future like Penn State next week, not not to say that they're not going to look at the film with Langan on the field and, and, and try and work on ways. Oh, they are. They're they definitely are. are. They definitely are. Because they know going into this week we're going to use that on the red zone uh, in the goal line situations. I'm just saying, and I agree with you, we, we can't just use that off out, out of the gate because – you have to be able to put some points on the board and and just running the ball i guess you know on your first drive i mean how many yards can you get with him like if he gets 6 yards a carry i mean you got to be able to throw the ball you know what i mean like it's yeah it took up it took up i mean even though it worked out tremendously for that game when you still look at it i know there was a bad call at the um the OPI call at the, at the end zone but it was a 9 minute drive that resulted in a field goal the one that we were all gassing up about Langan. I mean, it worked. It, it took off a chunk of time, and we put up points, and it should have been a touchdown, but there was that offensive pass interference call on us, which backed us up. But still, I mean, it's not a flaw. It's not a flawless plan, but to throw a wrench in the game with something like that, it, it can throw a team off. It's just a good card to have. Yeah, and, you know, you, you mentioned the drive, too. It, it was a 9-minute and 38-second drive, so, I mean... I get it if you're behind by a touchdown or a field goal and it's in the fourth quarter and you know you can take all the time you need but in the start of a game in, in or the start trying to chew clock off yeah but if you're if it's 0-0 and you're getting the ball to start you know you don't want to take off 9 minutes and then only come up with 3 points or something you know what I mean no that's no, that's not ideal not. yeah yeah so. certainly not yeah so I want to look into next week's game against Penn State because, you know, we all know Penn State has had their struggles this year. Um, Sean Clifford, their their quarterback, the same one from last year, and this surprises me because, you know, you would think a team that has the same quarterback who's, you know, pretty pretty experienced and, and same with the coach in James Franklin. You know, they've been doing this a long time. He has 11 touchdowns and 8 interceptions. Not too great. Um so and they're one in five on the year, and they got their first win last week against Michigan. Uh, so both teams coming off of a win. Uh, what do you expect to see from this game on Saturday in terms of uh, what 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 you're going to see from Rutgers and what Penn State might try to do? Well, I I, I think with Rutgers, you're you're not going to see much different. I, I I don't think that this again is going to be some type of. Uh, defensive game here I, I i don't see that script changing i think this is going to be another you know maybe Rutgers wins 31 27 or penn state wins 31 27 it's going to be around hovering that number um that's what i see with this i i don't i don't think that the the Rutgers defense is going to start going crazy on on penn state i mean they still they're still putting up you know a decent amount of points even in these losses i'm looking at penn state to put up 27 against michigan 21 against Iowa, even though they lost. 23, Nebraska. Uh, 19, Maryland. 25, Ohio State. They're, they're still putting up a decent amount of points. So I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at um, Penn State is going to try to hurt us more in the passing game with Sean Clifford. I think their their run game is down. They're only averaging about 100 and 158 yards rushing. I know we're averaging like 144, but um, – I don't think they're going to try to hurt us as much with the run. I think it's going to be a passing situation, and I'm expecting I'm expecting Rutgers to utilize Pacheco more in this situation. Um, I'm expecting. Uh, I should hope I'm so. Expecting, yeah, I'm expecting Vedral to start here, but if I, I personally want Sikowski, I know you said that, that you do too. I'm, I'm expecting Vedral to start, 
So it, it's going to be interesting, but I, I it's going to be interesting, man. I, I can't say anything. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see, and you know who who's going to start too. I, I expect Vedral to start as well. Uh, the reports were that he was feeling some pain before last game, and so they pulled him. Um, I, I I do expect him to start this week, but I mean, if you're playing against Rutgers, you'd be stupid to not. Utilize the pass game because our sec- our secondary has been so bad against the pass this year. That's the that's like yeah. one of the only flaws for this defense uh, in terms of yards given up. Even though like the past couple weeks the run game hasn't been what it was to start the year, um, but teams definitely don't want to, I guess, test the the run defense for Rutgers because that is their strong suit and they definitely can flip the switch with a couple of weeks of practice. But the pass game definitely is an issue to look at and. I definitely think that they should attack it, especially since they have Clifford and they have Jahan Dotson, who's got 34 catches, 557 yards, and six touchdowns on the year. I, I would be very surprised if they didn't try and attack these cornerbacks and the and the safeties right off the bat. Uh, in terms of Rutgers, though, I, I want to see them use Isaiah Pacheco more. Uh, I feel like I he's been underutilized the past couple games, and that might be just because we, we start off behind early in games, and that restricts us to pass the ball. So he really can't get much going unless we run some screen, you know, the, to the outside and, and try and get him in space. But you know, starting off games behind it, it forces you to throw the ball. So Pacheco really hasn't been used. He really wasn't used last game either. I mean, like. I want to check how many stats he, how many yards he had last week. He had 16 carries for 60 yards, um, and yeah, that's, a lot, and that's it, it. Yeah, I, I I didn't like how they how they used him last week, but again, it, it's a game script a game script situation. Pacheco's been good for us all year, but last last game we threw, drew up the plan for Johnny Lang and just started running all over them, and it worked out. Yeah, and you know I can't really blame the coaches too much there because when you're down 10 at halftime. 23 to 13 on Purdue you can't really afford to like we said earlier with Langan you can't really afford to to orchestrate these 10 minute drives to get one score just because you know you want to get Pacheco the ball you have to manage your time better and get down the field quickly and score accordingly so you know in games where Rutgers is up early you know maybe up a touchdown or two I do expect to see Pacheco and Karon Adams and guys like that to get the ball more on the ground um yeah just I I just feel like you know they have so much athleticism and, and to them it's just at this point you should use them more but I get it if you're behind you need to you need to make the plays downfield and be able to throw the ball but that's that's another thing I want to talk about too um you know the quarterback situation for Rutgers uh you and I both agree that Sikowski should start this week and we want him to start this week but we both also agree that we think Vedral is probably going to get the nod um so I I guess. What I'm, what I want to know is, is kind of like, how do you feel about Vedral starting? I know you want Sikowski to start, but is it like that big of a deal for you, or, or is it almost no, it, a necessity? It, it, it's, it's not, it's not the big, it's not the biggest deal in terms of this game. Like, I, I don't think, I, I think the team right now is overjoyed at how the season is played out. Honestly, a lot of these people. So I, I, I think, right, I think right now it's not that detrimental. But, but moving forward, I. I it just turns to a type of thing where I think the two of them are, are rather, are rather even, you know, I, I personally think Sikowski is more upside, which is why I 
focus on him and want him to be the quarterback. But I don't, I, I don't like scenarios when the lease is short on on a player because it just makes everything kind of off and it doesn't let everybody know who who's the guy a little bit and. It, it bothers me that it could be like that. So what if Vedril goes back out there now and he's not looking too hot? Now we're going to throw in Sitkowski, but then we're also going to have Langan come in here and run on some plays. And now you got three different quarterbacks. And sure, if it works out, it works out. And you get the win. It's all, the whole plan seems fine and dandy. But you go and lose the game. That's going to be something you point your finger at. Is well, who the heck's the quarterback here now? Now you had three people come out here and you just lost the game. No one's got a rhythm going. So I, I, you don't want to get stuck in that scenario where it, it's out of touch, out of sync. Yeah, I, I totally get that too. Um, but, you know, with some of these guys too, you know, Vedral, he's pretty experienced. And then you also have, you know, Langan and, and Sikowski have been in this program pretty much from the start. So I get what you're saying in terms of teams, uh, the, the offense having to switch between quarterback, I guess, leadership on the field what might be a little tough for them, but at least the guys that they're switching to kind of already know, you know, the offense. They've been here for a couple of years, the both of them in Langan and Sikowski, and it's not like some new guy that we picked up off a transfer or something. No, uh, for sure, but you, you and, and with everything, it, it's first of all, it's not only about it's not only about the quarterbacks. It's about the whole offense as a whole. You need you need it to be repeatable, and it, it, and if you don't, if you keep changing things, even if it even if it alters the repeatableness, the efficiency of the offense by five percent, that could be a big deal. Like it, it, everything, you want everything to be week in and week out, something that's repeatable. Whether it like you know, we're repeatable in the sense that you know how bad it can get, and and you know how good it can get, and and, and having that the little bit of doubt or uncertainty at quarterback can, can cause those, those issues. So if, if it is Vedral who, who's going to be their guy moving forward, I would like them to just stick with it. But I, I don't think that's how it's going to be. I think if, I think if one of them goes and has a bad game, then they're going to try out the other one. And that, that is a good thing, but I just don't want that to go on for long. Yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. And it makes a lot of sense. The one thing that, uh, that kind of stinks for me is, you know, I think, Neil called in last Saturday for Nightline, and he mentioned that you know Rutgers is probably going to take the path of a transfer quarterback from from this year, and you know we might not even see Sikowski play next year at all, uh, even even after redshirting uh, to give him an extra year of eligibility. It it just kind of stinks because you know he had so much potential coming in here, and everyone was kind of hyped on him. Uh, so I mean, I, yeah, I'm 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 hyped I'm hyped on him still, but like it's if that. You know, if a transfer quarterback that we get is if that's the route, then I just want us, I just want us to go all in on that. I, I, I don't want to have this situation where there's a doubt at, at who comes in at quarterback because that, it, it, you know, you, you don't, you don't hear any of these good teams in college talk about, oh, well, this guy might be starting, it might be this guy. Like they think about that, it's, it's ridiculous. You got to figure that that situation out. I know right now is not the time, and this isn't our winning playoff season, so it's all okay for now. But moving forward. We need to get the guy figured out. Yeah, and and, and you kind of you kind of saw this with the Eagles a couple years ago, right? You know, Nick the whole Nick Foles Carson Wentz situation. Um, yeah, look what it did to Wentz. Wentz, I mean, it also Wentz got injured, but I feel like his confidence is just he's just not the same. Yeah, and his confidence, and you know, apparent, and at the time of them deciding who was going to start, you know, there was there were locker room reports that people. That half the locker room thought Nick Foles should be the quarterback, and and then the other half thought Wentz. So so you're right. It creates this whole, 
Like just, uh, it just creates this whole yeah, environment. It's not that no just one wants. about the quarterback. It's not just about the quarterback. It could be, you know, maybe Bo Melton goes in the locker room and says, I think we could have got this win if Sikowski was in. And then he gets to start to get a little mad. And then he starts to go and talk to his friends on the team and they start getting on his page, but then other people get on federal side. It just, I, I don't think that's what's going on at all because the whole team is just happy right now at, at how the season is going, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think what so either. I could see and, and the energy I could see, but but moving forward, when you like, you know, you no no great teams have that situation at quarterback, and I, I expect the team to be great at some point, you know, and it's it's not going to be this year, obviously, and, and next year I wouldn't get your hopes too high, but it's uh, uh we need to figure it out. Yeah, and. I just hope Rutgers finds the quarterback in the future and they just stick with him and the team kind of just forms around him and, and they all rally and just and just go out there and win some football games and there isn't, you know, yeah. a quarterback battle. We just, you know, we have a solid guy that's in there every week that everyone knows is great. And so I, I just hope that that's in Rutgers' cards in it the will coming be. years. I, I, I think, I mean, you haven't even given a chance for Shiana to go out there and recruit his own quarterback or, or get a, or, you know, recruit a transfer to come here or something. We, we haven't seen anything like that. This is literally the same same dudes that we had last year, and he's taken them this far already. So, props. Yeah. Um, so, we'll talk some Rutgers basketball later on in the show. We'll, probably the next talk segment, we'll, we'll bring up some Rutgers basketball. Um, yep. I guess I just wanted to I, – I, I wanted to look at some of the NFL scores really quickly before we had to break in a little bit. Um you know, as a, I'm a well, Giants we talk I, NFL all day. Yeah, I'm a Giants fan. Listen, and I'm I'm pretty stoked to see my team in first place for the first time in I don't even know how many years. It's been it's been too long. Even though they're not very good, I will still take a first place finish in our division. Um, but I know you're a Panthers fan, and so you know, just knowing how that game ended this weekend, I kind of just want. <laughs> did, you, <laughs> did you have any have any rants or anything or? I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't. Hey, look, it, it it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm extremely hyped on the team too. Same situation as I am with Rutgers. We're extremely young. Jeremy Chin looks like one of the best pickups we've had in a while, in a very long time. He's he's you know candidate for for. Uh, yeah, he's looked really good. He had two touchdowns, he right? Really good. Two touchdowns yesterday. We there's a reason why we're not rushing McCaffrey back. If we were about to make the playoffs, McCaffrey could have played. In my opinion, he could have played this last game, but. He, we're, we're not we're not trying to rush him back. This team is definitely looking towards the next year already. And sure, it would have been nice to win this game, but it, it's it's a pointless win. We're not making the playoffs. We're gonna get a better draft pick now. It's just uh, I'm I'm not mad. I'm I'm same way as Rutgers. I'm more so happy to see how we're competing. I mean, we played the Chiefs really 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 well when we had uh, McCaffrey. It came down to a field goal there as well. Came down to a field goal against the Saints. Um, I don't think the Vikings are all that at all, but it's still, it was it was a close game. Um, we're we're looking good. Matt Rule's got us trending in the right direction. We got a young defense as well. Uh, same situation where in, with quarterback, where I think PJ Walker is really good too, and I think Teddy's really good. So we're in a little bit of a pickle there too. But I, I don't think either of these people are guys five years down the road. So soon, I would like to to pick up a quarterback and develop them while we still have some some good talent in a QB now, but I'm not, I'm not that mad at that. I'm not that mad at that. No, it's actually kind of happy. It's a pointless win. It would have been a pointless win for us. Our division is loaded. We're not, we're not, it's, it's, it's over. 
yeah, you know you have a good team right now. You know, you're set up for success. You're right. They would have brought back McCaffrey if they if they had a chance at winning anything, you know, a playoff spot or whatever, but that's my opinion on it. He he's he's not he's not that hurt. He's not that hurt. Yeah, I think just, you're right. Because yeah. it makes sense. Why why put your star player out there who, you know, who's not 100%? Maybe he's closer to it than he than everyone's saying, but there's no real point in putting him out there if it's a pointless season at this, you know, if it's if it's a season that you're just going to kind of Look past and, and just work from work from it the next coming years with you you have the coach. You, you just signed Teddy, who's looked pretty good. And, and your defense, like you TJ said. TJ Walker went out, won us a game last week too. Yeah. The, the the XFL guy, he looks he looks on point. I, I mean I'm 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 happy to see what the team brings. I know I know you're happy with your Giants too though. Welcome back to Tuesday night's edition of The Crew. I'm Dylan Allen alongside Brant Wolf. It is time for Locks of the Week. Brant, do you have a Lock of the Week? For me, my, my lock is I'm just going to stick with the, with the game we got going on tomorrow. I think between – I think if the Ravens had a chance at this game, it would have been if it was just played at its normal time. Instead, this game has been pushed all the way – until tomorrow and with that i think pittsburgh is they have them at, at minus 10 i think a bunch of people are you know on covid i, I can't even keep track is, is lamar i don't think lamar's playing, playing. Game? if he's not playing i would take him at 10 and if you want to be safe you can buy some points on it get him at like eight not that that would really do anything anyway but i would at least buy the one the half point so you get it at nine and a half instead of ten so uh i i think Steelers, I don't see how they're going to blow on their undefeated streak against the hobbling Ravens team. Yeah, and, you know, with Lamar not being eligible to play this game, you know, it really begs the question, will Baltimore make the playoffs this year, especially since Cleveland is now 8-3 and and the Steelers are 10-0? and uh, You know, there, there's not really any room for Baltimore in the playoff scenario here, uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So my lock of the week, you know, after watching the Saints play last week, uh, Taysom Hill and that offense and, and their defense has been playing great. I, I think my my lock of the week this week is Saints over the Falcons minus three. Um, I know Atlanta I came agree. off. Of, I know Atlanta came off of a good week this week against a good Oakland team, um, but you can't forget this is an in division opponent uh, matchup, and you know the Saints know how to play Atlanta and. I just feel like the Saints' offense is going to be too much for Atlanta's defense, and they're going to. I think they're going to win this game by at least ten points, maybe a touchdown. So I think minus three is a, is a good bet there, uh, and that's my lock. But to talk more about the Baltimore Ravens and and their playoff hopes, um, you know, if he he's not playing tomorrow, so I don't even know who is it going to be. Trace McSorley that that starts tomorrow's game, or is it? I don't know their depth. But, I truly couldn't even tell you, man. I I, I could not tell you who, who the Ravens' backup is. Yeah, but anyway, honestly, regardless who it is, the Steelers are going to win this game anyway. But yeah. um, I think your minus 10 is a good pick because, first of all, they, Lamar is not playing, and, and their whole offense is built on this run game that he brings to the table. So I really don't – and their receivers aren't that great to begin with. Um, so they're going to really struggle this week. 
And uh, I just find it really interesting, too, that it's a 3.40 p.m. start tomorrow. It's, it's going to be Wednesday afternoon football. It's it's so it's so weird with what they keep doing. I, I don't know why they keep moving the date on it. Maybe there's some logistics that, that we don't know about, but, I mean, it, it, it's weird. Yeah, but you know, we were talking about the playoffs and if they were going to if they were going to get in and you know, to in my eyes, Cleveland doesn't look like that great of a team, but their record no. says otherwise at 8 and 3 and they're second in the AFC North and Wildly. you know, that could really that that this they have an upcoming game against Baltimore in 2 weeks. If Cleveland wins that game, I think that they lock themselves in for a playoff spot and Baltimore doesn't and Baltimore doesn't get in, which would be very interesting. I think they're both like roughly, you know, the, the same equivalent of a team. I think both of them are decent teams, um, but they're not going to do anything in the playoffs. That's that's just the bottom line. They're just a team that's you know just <laughs> flowing with flowing with the ocean, and they're 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 not making any noise. They're not they're not a tsunami. They're not making waves. Yeah, and I was I was never high on Baker Mayfield. Like I just never really saw anything spectacular from him ever since his rookie year. He he just really hasn't looked that good, and you know they're they're averaging 195 passing yards per game, which is 30th in the NFL. But they are first in rushing uh, at 161 yards per game, which is pretty good. And they have Nick, Chubb, which is really good. And they have Nick Chubb back and Kareem Hunt, so they do have a they do have a good run a good run game, um, you know, which could make some noise. But I just think because of Baker's low end quarterback play that. It won't be enough for them to get a playoff win, but I I definitely just find it interesting that a fourteen and two team last year is it might not even make the playoffs this year. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. We see we see it with the Niners though as well. It's but I mean they were riddled with injuries and stuff. But it it's it's difficult, man. Football is extremely repeatable, which is extremely not repeatable, which is what we see, uh, which is why what we're seeing with the Chiefs is incredible right now. Yeah, and you know, I want to I want to talk a little bit about Rutgers hoops as well, uh, you know, because Rutgers that's definitely their strong suit in terms of sports uh, as a school. They're ranked twenty four in the nation. They're three and zero on the year, uh, getting wins over Sacred Heart, Fairleigh Dickinson, and Hofstra. Um, so the next game is against Syracuse, which is going to be a week from today, uh, December eighth, here at the Rack. Uh, and there were there was possible rumors that Rutgers was looking for a possible opponent uh, from in between now and then, uh, like a game on like Friday or Saturday. Uh, and there were rumors that Mike Bray from Notre Dame was looking for an opponent as well. So not that that's confirmed, but it's definitely possible that Rutgers can play another opponent from now and then. But since that is not confirmed, we'll talk about this Syracuse game upcoming. So. We all know Syracuse is a great program, has been historically a great program, and they still have Jim Beheim as their head coach. Even though they're not ranked, Rutgers, we can't go into this game thinking it's going to be a cakewalk because we all know good coaching in college basketball usually means you'll have a pretty good team even if you're not really that stacked with talent. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think we're looking at this as a cakewalk. By any means, this is going to be the first test of the year, and if you go – for ESPN's projections for anything, ESPN has us projected to lose, which I which I think it's it's is honestly a bit ridiculous. Uh, they have us, I think, give them giving Syracuse around a sixty percent chance of winning that, which I think is kind of outlandish. If anything, give us you know a fifty five forty five edge. Yeah, something. I'm looking at that. They give they're giving Syracuse a fifty six chance a sixty a fifty six percent chance 
to win this game. Um, I honestly, think that's kinda, yeah, I think that's, I think that's kind of ridiculous. But I think that's kind of ridiculous. But they're probably, you know, it, it, Rutgers is a team that's that's just that's just getting hot within these last two years. So a lot of people don't have the biggest faith in them yet. But if you're a college basketball faithful and you've been watching this team, you know that they're very good. Um, but what is scaring me though about it a little bit from watching these games, yes, Rutgers is winning and they're winning soundly in all these games. But moving forward, uh, their, their depth has taken a big hit, in in my opinion. You losing losing Geo and then McConnell having this this year redshirted between both those people, those were big players for us last year. I mean, McConnell would come up in the clutch for us a lot. So. Now we're having to rely on Mulcahy more, who is making strides. But, I mean, you look at last game, 34 minutes, he had three points. Did have nine rebounds, seven assists. He, he was a team player, you could say. But but still, you, you, you're going to need a little bit more from him on offense. We had some, we had an explosion from Jacob Young last game, 17 points on five or 14 shooting. He played well. I mean, we all know Ron Harper's putting up his. He's averaging like 23 points per game on the season right now. Cliff's looking good. Um, but again, if our depth is going to take a hit like this, your numbers from Mulcahy and Miles Johnson are going to need to look be looking a little bit better than what they're putting up right now. But I, that being said, looking at that Syracuse game, I still think Rutgers win. Yeah, and I don't see Rutgers really being outmatched here, honestly, because... With... No, they're not, but, but, yeah. the, but the depth... Last last year, what he would do a lot is literally rotate players in and out. I, I, I referenced it a lot to Coach Cal's platoon system that he had when Carl Towns used to play on, on Kentucky where he would have one group of people, swap them out, bring in another five five men, and that's how he would keep the defense fresh and keep the team on their toes. They can't do that as well this year. It's not that, de- that their bench is, is bad, Rutgers. It's just they, they're not going to be able to do it as well. Yeah, and, you know, at least – I definitely agree with you that our guard depth specifically has taken a big hit so far. You know, with McConnell redshirting and and Geo getting hurt in that first game. But what encourages me is that we we actually do have some really good depth there still. And I do have confidence that, you know, guys like Jacob Young and Mulcahy will get it done. Almost, you know, Jacob Young has been scoring a lot of points for us the first three games. And he's kind of been, you know, if it wasn't for Harper, he'd be the game-leading scorer for the majority of these games. And I like Mulcahy's role. He's not an offensive guy, and you know I definitely think he can work on that and become a more offensive guard. But for now, he's yeah, more you, of a pass-first uh, kind of like a floor general uh, point guard, which is good. Which is good, but against the against the better teams, if your game, it's not that it's one-dimensional. But if you don't bring an aspect on there, and you just basically on offense have four men on the floor who can score, it just it, it, it dulls it dulls your blade a bit in terms of how you're going to strike. You, you need you he needs to be a little bit more aggressive when it comes to scoring and, and, and try to get out there because now he he is the guy. So there's nothing to be like in the past. I would always look at Mulcahy as when when he'd go out there. Okay, now he's more the floor general guy because our other guard is our, our scoring guy. But now that that scoring guy's gone, and then second in line to our scoring guy, McConnell's gone. So now we, we are looking at you a little bit more to to go out there and put up some buckets. Yeah, and he definitely has to become more aggressive offensively. It, 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 I, th- I honestly think it just comes down to taking more shots. Um, yeah, he only took four shots. That's what that's what I'm saying. I mean, and, and two of them were uh, three pointers. 
yeah, and I, I just feel like like off the from the start, I feel like he's just very passive, a, a very passive guard, and he just tries to find the guy open, which isn't a bad thing at all. But I think you're right in team in games against teams like Syracuse, and even the next game after that against Maryland. You know, where we're going to need all hands on deck, he's definitely going to need to be able to find a way to score more points to to even help this team out even more. Um, you know, because we all know what he can do in terms of a passer and rebounder and getting steals. But you know, if he can add an offensive, a more offensive presence, then then that really just makes him ten times harder for defenses to prepare for. Uh, but you know, I think the big thing for Rutgers is is even though we have lost, you know, our our leader in and Geo Baker. And 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 McConnell, who has been, you know, good for for the years he's been here, um, you know, yeah, we're huge games us. That 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 was a huge that was a huge blow early, but it, it was understandable with the whole, you, you know, it's another thing like that where I, I'm not I'm not positive if if McConnell would have declared to stay out the whole year if coronavirus wasn't a thing. It, it could be a type of thing where he misses half the season and then comes back, but I, I think with the whole coronavirus thing going down and him getting another year of eligibility, he just decided to to just say I'm not I'm not gonna play this year. Yeah, and and it's kind of smart too because it, it is, gives it, it is. gives I'm him not, an I'm extra year. On the, yeah, yeah, I'm not hating on the decision at all. I'm I'm just looking at it from from my opinion. It it, it might be the wrong one, but that's how I see it. Well I think it's I think it's and I think it's just a smart thing for him in terms of being able to develop as a player because, you know, if Gio decides to, and I don't think he will declare for the draft after this year, uh, you know, it gives it gives McConnell an extra two years of being, I guess, the main guy in terms of you know ball handling. Because by then, Jacob Young will be he'll be out of here, you know, either graduated or, or he'll declare, and you know, Gio, whatever he decides to do, but it, it'll eventually be McConnell's time to be you know, one of the main guards on this team. So it's kind of smart in that way to look at it as if, like, he'll kind of run the team soon enough. Uh, in terms of being that that leader as a guard. Um, but what I was going to say before was, is even though we are missing a lot at the guard in terms of depth, uh, I, I just think Rutgers' rebounding ability, the, the their ability to out-rebound all of their opponents, it, it doesn't even matter which you know, which team they're playing, they always seem to find a way to out-rebound their opponents and create second-chance opportunities for their offense to score more points and, and to put up more shots. I think that's going to be the difference in big games this year for Rutgers, like it kind of was last year. I think Rutgers is going to have to feed off of the extra opportunities that they're given with clutch rebounds from Cliff and from Miles Johnson. Um, so in a game against, in a game against uh, Syracuse, even though guys like Mulcahy might not have that big of an offensive presence, I just think the rebounding and getting and getting it out to guys like Jacob Young and Ron Harper to put up a second or third shot, that'll just be the difference. And I think Syracuse is going to figure that out and, and kind of just get worn out. And let's not forget, this: Syracuse has only played one game on the year. And yeah. they, they beat Bryant 85-84. to 84. So, you know, Bryant isn't a great team. I think we beat them last year, actually. And... You know, you no, only... I, I think I, I, I think we, I think we beat Syracuse, but it's our, it's our first test. It's not even a big test, but it, it, it's our first test. It's definitely the first real team we're playing. I know Hofstra was good last year, but you know, Sacred Heart and Fairleigh Dickinson aren't really that good of programs. So it's definitely their, their biggest test of the year. Um, 
And what I'm kind of hoping to see this this week against uh, Syracuse this next week, I want to see more offensive presence from Cliff because I feel like that's what separates him from Miles Johnson, and that's what I kind of want to talk about. I want to talk about Cliff and and kind of what you want to see out of you know his production in the next coming games. Uh, just I guess overall, like what do you want to see? Uh, what do you want to see more out of Cliff in these next coming games? I, I I don't think he's done I don't think he's done too bad I I think it I think it's more a little bit on his counterpart I I, I mean I, I think you can get more out of Miles Johnson I mean as a as a big man and somebody who was our starter all of last um all of last year for I mean last game you look at it for him to go one and five for him to go one for five from the field majority of these shots are in in the paint it's he's got to be a bit better I think Cliff is doing fine I think that the minute split is just about right. It should be half and half. I think Cliff's averaging what eight, eight, I think around like eight or nine points on the season, and around like eight or nine rebounds. I, I, I think yeah, that's just about like right that. for him. Yeah, I think that's just around right. I think that's just about right for him. I, I, I don't obviously, you know, we're, we're we're due for a big explosion game from him. That'd be sick. But I, I think as a whole, I'm 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 happy with what he's doing. I need to see uh, more from Miles because I know it, it's a little bit more difficult for him but since he's got you know competition now but this is a man who started for us all last year and who we touted as somebody who might even be an NBA prospect once he's all done here with Scarlet Knights yeah I I I want to start with uh, your point about Cliff I think that you know the thing with Cliff is you know physically in terms of athleticism he can go toe-to-toe with anyone in the Big Ten already but his skill set isn't at the level where we can expect him to average like anywhere near like a double double in his freshman year. I think that exactly. I, I think his ceiling is as high as anyone on this Rutgers team, but I think that it's going to take him a little longer to get there. Like, I, I think this is an, an, as far as who's going to be the main contributor inside. I think this is still Miles Johnson's team, and yeah. you know I do like the move though that Pykele has done. And I'm not saying that Close is not going to get minutes. I'm not saying he's not going to have any good games. He will. But I, I kind of like the move that Pike has done in the rotations where he'll start Cliff for a few minutes and then Miles will come in and Miles will, at the end, play more minutes because uh, Miles has had a tendency in the past to get into foul trouble early. And, you know, in, in the Big Ten, you can't afford to have your best center uh, get into foul trouble early. That's just not going to end well for you or for the team as a whole. So um, I think that that's smart from Pike. I wouldn't be surprised if we stuck with that. And, you know... To go back to your point on, you know, the Syracuse game, I, I think that, well, the benefit with Geo Baker's injury, I, I'm kind of jumping all over the place here. The benefit with Geo Baker's injury is that it came at the point in the season where there's like one game a week. Like you've got um, Syracuse next Tuesday, then the following Monday you've got Maryland, and then the following Sunday you've got Illinois. So that's three games in the next three weeks. So even if he takes, say, three weeks before he's fully better with his ankle – you know, that's only three games that you've missed and you're still, you've still got him back healthy for the bulk of conference play. So Rutgers has a luxury of time. It's not an easy stretch by any means. Syracuse, Maryland, and Illinois is a tough three game stretch, but it's spread out enough that you have the time to, you know, slowly get him back without, you know, being worried about being out without a top guard for such a long period of time. So what you were saying with Cliff, I, I agree because a lot of people that my dad goes and watches high school basketball games with and stuff, he's got a lot of friends who, who watch a lot of high school basketball and, and their sons are in it and all that stuff. So 
like watching Cliff at, at Roselle Catholic and um, my dad's friend is, is very good friends is uh, my dad's friend's friend's son is Corey Floyd Jr. who plays for Roselle. So we've seen them play Cliff. Yeah. He has a skill set that's needs to be developed more, but his ceiling is through the roof. So I, I, I honestly am happy with what he's doing right now. I think this is just about right for him. I, I, I wasn't expecting him to go out here and put up 15 points a game, average 15. I, I think that this was around what I was kind of expecting out of him. And that's what, you know, it is, um, people have said about him is that this guy can, this guy has a wingspan as long as a car, but he, he's got to, he, he's got to get a little bit better before, you know, he starts declaring for the NBA draft and stuff with his skill set. But yeah, I agree. G, losing Geo uh, at this point in time was probably best case scenario. Like at, at, at worst that you said, we got Syracuse, Maryland and Illinois. He, he, I mean, I personally think we're grabbing at least one of those games. So it's not that bad, but he, no if, if we that. want him, if we want to make a deep run in the tournament, he, he, he's got to be a hundred percent. Well, I, I will say this though. Um, the thing with Steve Peichel's teams, historically, at least is that they've not, they're not the team to get off to a hot start. Like if you'll notice, um, you know, the Seton hall game is kind of like the exception to the rule here, but in general, Rutgers has played better basketball in January and February than they had to do in December. Like, yeah. I mean, look at where we were, you know, it's the first, yeah, I know that's December why I avoided, right now. Look I've where we were last December. Like they had lost on the road to, they lost a neutral site to St. Bonaventure. They lost on the road to Pittsburgh who, you know, talent wise, uh, I mean, look in hindsight, you can say Rutgers is a much more talented team than Pittsburgh was. Um, you know, there were games that they, you know, they won, but they didn't look good. Like, you know, Drexel, they had to sweat out Bryant. They almost lost to, and you know, People were getting nervous saying, hey, is the tournament really in reach or is it still another year away? And, you know, in hindsight, you know, that looked kind of, you know, a bit of an overreaction. And I feel yeah. like there are some in the fan base that are kind of overreacting to, oh, well, we didn't look that good against Hofstra or our defense didn't look that good against FDU. Like this team, the way Steve Peichel plays, it takes time to, you know, find the right rotation, you know, get everyone playing their role well. And I don't expect there to be as much of a learning curve this year because one, the team is better, and two, you know, most of these guys have already played with each other. They're returning eighty percent of their scoring, eighty percent of their rebounding. So, um, I'm not saying that's going to be a really long learning curve, but I do think that the team's best basketball is going to come in January and February, not in December. I agree, hundred percent. I, I was a doubter early on last year too, after the St. Bonnie loss. And oh, I remember. Got- I, I, I was I, I was a doubter. I I, I was yes. I was doubting that it was this year. I'm not saying they weren't talented. I remember seeing Ron Harper and, and company two years ago and saying that this could be a team down the road that's really good. But I didn't like what I saw. And you're right, Pykele definitely gets them playing correctly around January, which is what some of the best coaches do. I mean, you look at people like Tom Izzo. We always talk about that. Michigan State. What do, what do they do around tournament time? They start getting tuned up. Everyone's healthy, ready to go, and I expect that to be no different with this team. So, excited. And I feel like a guy we don't talk about too much uh, on this team is Jacob Young. Uh, his his presence so far, coming off the at least from last year, coming off the bench and kind of just having a nice scoring role and, and leading the team when guys like Geo Baker and Ron Harper would sit the bench. Now he's in a role where he needs to be in the starting lineup. Uh, because of McConnell's injury and because of Geo Baker's injury, he's kind of 
fit into this role that the team needs him to be in. And so far, he's been playing very well. And I just feel like he's not he's not talked about too often. And you know, he's definitely one of the best players on this team. I I, I personally think with with Jacob Young a little bit last year, our biggest concern was that he was streaky and a little bit of ad case at, at moments. So some some games we would be loving what he's doing. He's always someone who's cutting to the basket, always someone who's looking to score, but he could get frustrated sometimes. So I think now though, with, with the injuries and McConnell taking, taking the ear off and stuff like that, I think it's opened the door for him a little bit more and his confidence is there. And Pike was giving him a little bit more of a green light, which for a player like him, it, it, it's going to benefit him a lot personally, because before he, he had, he had a green light, but it definitely the, the green light was on a timer last year. Now, now the green lights timer got increased by a lot. So I, I think with a, with a player like him and his playing style, this is going to suit him a lot. And I, I expect him yet to be one of the top scorers on the team right behind Ron Harper. So I guess, uh, sorry, Chris, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, yeah, Jacob Young is, he, he's one of the more talented players on this team. I, I would still say that by far the most talented player on this team is Ron Harper Jr. I think that by the end of this year, we're going to be talking about Ron Harper Jr. Or, or you know, the experts are going to be talking about Ron Harper Jr. as a sleeper pick in the NBA draft. I'm not saying he'll be like top five or anything, but he'll be in the conversation as a future NBA pro. And, you know, I, I mean, I think he stays the full four years. I doubt he leaves early, but I agree. Um, I he has a potential say, I, to I, I really don't think he leaves this year. No, I don't think so. Or, I mean, it would make more sense for him to stay an extra year because that's the difference between, you know, being potentially taken in the second round or taken in the first round. And I think yeah. that he could ultimately reach that ceiling. I mean, um, but I think that this is going to be the year that Ron Harper Jr. really breaks onto the scene as one of the elite players in the Big Ten. Like right up there with guys like Dasunmu, Garza, um, you know, in that elite caliber level. Um, you know, that that's really – and from what I've seen from him in the two games I've been fortunate enough to go to in person, he looks the part of a first-team All-Big Ten player. Certainly. I, I, I agree with you. I think he is an NBA caliber player. I, I think – I think he stays another year because I, I don't think I, I would definitely lean more towards that. I would say it's about a, about a 70% chance, he, 70, 80% chance he's coming back for four. I think that's probably what his dad's going to want him to do too, just develop a bit more. Uh, it, I, I've, I've always said that I think he has a chance to go to the NBA since, since I saw him. I, I think he has a lot of potential and yeah. he's got the frame for it. He's got, he's got the connections for it. He's got one of the best mentors possible in his dad. And he's super driven. I mean, I, I go out here on campus all the time. You'll see everybody on the basketball team except Ron Harper. You'll see everybody out and about. You never see him. He, he's he's on his stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of guy he is. And, you know, it, it just goes to show. I mean, remember what he was freshman year, his freshman year here. Um, like You could tell he had the skill, but the athleticism wasn't really there, like relative to where he's now. But over the course of two years, you really see what playing under Steve Peichel has done to his game, and it's just completely transformed him. So, I mean, I, I hope we get to the point. I hope he gets drafted on a good team, so that way he could start a ring uh, competition with his dad because his dad's already I, I got think, five rings. I think it's going to be a scenario where he stays four years, and it's going to be you know one of those teams like the Celtics. Like it's going to take a coach like that because they like to take those four years players who are, who are yeah. super polished. I think it's going to be a team like that because. 
it's the same situation. I mean, Miles Powell, one of the best players in, in um, NCAA last year. I mean, he, he got drafted late as heck and went to the went to the Knicks. I don't think the Knicks would – I don't want Ron Harper to go to the Knicks. Please go somewhere good. We stink. But <laughs> – but, um, He'll stay up north, go to BK. I oh, think he was undrafted. That would make that would make me salty too, personally. I know that would make, make you salty, salty, but I would love that. That would make me just as salty. But it, it, <laughs> I think personally, it's going to be one of those like Brad Steven type coaches in the NBA who end up taking him because it's not going to be. He's not regardless, even if he stays four years, he, he's not going. I, I I can't I can't see him going top fifteen, top twenty. So it, it's going to be somewhere after then, and will be a better team. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I see him as a late first if he stays all four years. And if he did leave after this year, I'd see him somewhere going in the mid second. Um, yep. But one thing that I never understood, like, you know, you could say this about Corey Sanders. You could say this about a bunch of other guys all around college basketball. I never understood why these guys that, you know, project out to like maybe a second round grade at best, why they're so eager to leave early. Cause like, I don't know if, I get the money thing is a, a concern, but like most of those guys end up not really playing a long time, if at all, in the NBA. Like, is is it really worth it to you know cut short your college career so early to go play in like somewhere in Europe or Australia or you know running around the D League? Like, I don't know. Just I, that always bothered me as a basketball fan. It's definitely not worth it for them, especially Harper. Uh, and I think that I think the big thing is is. You know, after this year, and if Rutgers makes the tournament, which I expect them to, uh, you'll see a guy like Geo Baker come up to Ron Harper, and he'll be like, "Okay, let's just let's just go play one more year here because I have, you know, Geo has an extra year of eligibility with the COVID, uh, with the COVID rules that the NCAA is awarded to winners, uh, winner athletes." Um, I could definitely just see Geo kind of just talking to Ron Harper and just saying, "Listen, let's just give this one more year." And then I'll be out of here, and then you can do whatever you want. But I need you by my side if we're gonna, you know, really make a a, a big run at this tournament. And I think that, and alongside with Steve Peichel, I think Ron Harper is going to stay here all four, all four of his years. Um, and I think you're definitely right. He could definitely become a first round pick if he decides to stay all four years. But with that, we're gonna keep it. We're gonna go to break. Um, can we just talk? Is up next. So keep it locked here on WRSU FM, New Brunswick. <laughs> 